Hello once again, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Monolith Seeker. I am your host, Steve Osborne, and thank you so much for tuning in. This is the first episode of 2022, which I don't know if that means anything to you, but you know, the numbers keep rolling by, so here we are. Um, I'm excited about this episode, though, and I'm excited that it gets to kick off the new year with this show because um, this is a conversation with my friend who has consistently blown my mind since I met him, uh, Cormac Sheehan. Cormac is a very talented musician. He's a writer. He's a martial artist. He's very experienced with um, psychedelics. He's a very passionate father, very knowledgeable about his history, um, the history of Ireland where he grew up. We talk about all of that. Um, we talk a little bit about Celtic shamanism. This conversation goes all over the place, and I couldn't be more thankful for him to take the time out of his life to talk with me and to be on this show. So, um, yeah, big thanks to Cormac for doing this. And also big thanks to you for listening to the show, for making the last year uh, that I was thinking about doing the show and then towards the end of the year when I actually pulled the trigger and did the show. Uh, thank you for making this what it's been. It wouldn't be anything without the interaction that I've had with, you know, people that I haven't seen in years, people I haven't spoken to about these types of things, new people stumbling upon it. Uh, so many good friends of mine have reached out. We've had conversations about things that I don't think we would have been able to have spoken about without, you know, this show or these kinds of conversations being the catalysts for. So I'm so thankful for that. Um, I, you know, there's, I've been getting ratings and reviews on different platforms, and that's been wonderful as well. I'm told that that helps out with getting the show out there. But really the thing I'm most blown away by is that people have told their friends and family that they think would be interested in this show about it. And so many new people have found it that way. And that's been the most humbling and wonderful thing. So thank you for all of that, um, wherever you fit into that, or if you're just enjoying the show and keeping it to yourself because you don't want to get looked at sideways, that's wonderful too. I appreciate all of it. So yeah, without going too deep into introductions here, I would like to let you know that you can get a hold of me uh, on the internet at Monolith Seeker is my handle on uh, Twitter and Instagram. And you can send me emails at uh, monolithseekerpod at gmail.com. Uh, if you have any questions, concerns, you want to recommend me books or people to speak with, if you want to be a guest on here, whatever the case may be, feel free to hit me up and I'd love to talk to you about it and keep the conversation going as much as possible. Um, there's going to be some links on getting a hold of Cormac at the end of the show, but I'll put them in the show notes as well. And yeah, so without any further ramblings from me, here is my conversation with Cormac Sheehan. All right. Well, great. Thanks so much for doing this, Cormac. I appreciate it so much. No worries. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about when I was like putting this show together, uh, like kind of the first people I wanted to talk to were people who kind of set me on the road to doing this. And uh, I can say that like, I talked about in like the first episode of the show, like about kind of my personal journey and like all the things that I did and like how I accomplished all this stuff that I thought I would never accomplish. And then I got through with all of it and I was like, now what? <laughs> and one of the things I was able to look back on and say that I got like some kind of fulfillment out of, and that kind of was pushing me in a direction that I hadn't tried yet was the conversations that you and I had. Uh, while we were partying and fucked up <laughs> in Australia and like we could, I don't know, it was just nice to be able to dip out of some of the normal, you know, music and party conversation and talk about like things that really meant something to us and like 
having touched other, you know, dimensions and things like that. So, uh, yeah, you were one of the first people I thought of when I, when I started thinking about people to interview on this. So, um, yeah, again, thank you. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. I remember the conversation. Exactly. It was at Christina's house, right? Christina and Kate's house. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, um, I mean, the thing is, a lot of these conversations are kind of like uh, a dirty topic in punk, know. you know, so I'm, I, I rarely instigate them. But when people are open to them or they bring them up, I'm always really keen to talk about it because there, there's so much woo-woo bullshit and there's so many charlatans trying to just set themselves up as some kind of sub-deity. Right. <laughs> but it's it's uh, just refreshing to meet people who have a question everything mindset, including questioning the assumptions of punk and subculture, which are like reject everything that ever has anything to do with authority or hierarchy or whatever. And, and sadly, a lot of spiritual stuff kind of falls under that banner a lot of the time because, you know, as soon as one monkey bashed another monkey over the head and, and took his favorite rock. Someone was saying, Hey, the guy up there in the sky doesn't want you to do that. And he told me why. And so it just turns into this hierarchical thing really quickly. And, right. and also, also, I guess, cause a lot of people who are open to this are often um, searching for something as well. So they're, they're attracted to people who have an answer for them. And definitely. I, I don't feel like I've found answers. I've just found better questions. <laughs> that's the best way to put it, I think. Yeah, for sure. That, I mean, that's what I'm finding more and more. Yeah, I, I mean, I found that intro episode you did really fascinating, like your own background, um, growing up and, and moving from, where was it, Tennessee? Yeah. To, to Oregon. Um, oh, it was Ohio first. And oh, then, to yeah. Ohio. I mean, I yeah, I lived in Oregon for a minute. I lived all over the place. It was... There was one bit when I think it was you were interviewing a friend of yours and you talked about um, Satan and you suddenly said it in a Tennessee accent and all the rest of your accent is more kind of Midwest. You went, Satan. And I was like, that's so sick. That's, yeah, no, that, I mean, you can tell how, how and where I spent most of my time talking about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm I'm glad you enjoyed that first episode. Um, but yeah, I wanted to I wanted to talk a little bit about uh your growing up because I don't know anything about that. I don't know anything like the the things that I know about you is that you can switch modes from talking about some of the gnarliest party and punk stories I've ever heard in my life to talking about your ayahuasca journeys and how much you love your family. So I like <laughs> the, the range on the conversations we've had has been awesome, but I don't know much about like how you grew up or like how any of these spiritual questions started popping up in your life. So if you'd mind talking about that a little bit, that would be great. Um, yeah, well, like most people, like even if you're an atheist in Ireland, you're still part Catholic just because of the surroundings. Like it permeates absolutely everything um, in, in the environment. Even if you're Hindu, even if you're Muslim, you're still a, a bit Catholic by process of osmosis. Um, and that kind of informs everything uh, around you and your assumptions. But um, my, my parents, I mean... They're from like fairly Catholic families, but the sort of they're not that religious, but even the base level religious is is quite religious. Like you have to go to church on Sundays. You would absolutely do your, you know, first Holy Communion, your confirmation, uh, all these things, uh, which you, 
like deep in the recesses of my brain, there's so many prayers, like different Catholic prayers and, <laughs> you know, different things that you do. And But my parents weren't that into it themselves. So I wasn't actually baptized. Um, and I've got a couple of cousins who live here in Melbourne and I actually met them last night and we were uh, talking about things because one of them had just been back in Ireland or they'd both, they're twins and they'd both been back in Ireland for a couple of weeks. And we were talking about one of our favourite aunties um, who's who's very, very religious. Um, and it can be quite uh, shocking sometimes. Like it just comes out of nowhere. She's like, you know, things like... Um, the right right to life and so on where she she just knows that you can't do that or um just things that are taken for granted and it actually turned out that when myself and my sister were babies um she had a plan to kidnap us and uh, get us <laughs> baptized in secret um and she ended up going up through the um hierarchy of the church in Ireland up as far as the Archbishop of Dublin who is quite a powerful man uh, and managed to get a meeting with him and say hey so I have this problem I'm terrified my niece and my nephew are going to go to limbo uh, if I don't get them baptised should I take them and get them baptised and he was like no don't do it we've got enough problems going on right now with people taking kids off to do things <laughs> so we don't want we don't need another scandal and so she didn't so I managed to retain my original sin but um the, the really funny thing is that that's that came from a place of love for her that was a genuine fear of hers right. it wasn't about domination it wasn't about indoctrination it was about fear um which was you know turned into uh, which was love, but there's there's such a fine line sometimes between people acting out of fear or, or acting out of love, and often they can't differentiate. I think, right? Um, and so I remember by the age of six or seven, um, I already knew that I didn't subscribe to the Christian idea of God. Um, I remember lying in bed and going, uh, "I don't buy it." You know, man upstairs in, in heaven, kind of saying, "This is right and this is wrong." It just doesn't make sense to me. But I also remember around that age, um, I'm not sure if it was before or after that, being really sick and lying in bed and cursing Eve uh, and women for taking the bite of the apple and bringing suffering into the world. And it kind of shows that even when you're not into church and God and the teachings of the Catholic Church, you're still indoctrinated into the misogyny around you. And that was really bizarre for me because it took, you know, it wasn't until I was much older and thinking back about things and going, oh, that's really fucked up. Like how many people just kind of take that as part of the meat and potatoes of of the fabric of reality rather than going, maybe all this stuff isn't women's fault. Right. <laughs> and like, Yeah, I, I can relate to that. Honestly, I, I haven't thought about that actually at all until you just said that. But that is a sentiment I also remember having as a kid. Like I, I didn't, I don't know if I extrapolated it out to all women as much as just thinking like, what was that bitch's problem? You know, like why, why yeah. did she listen to that goddamn snake? What's wrong with her? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so growing up, um, all the schools are Catholic. You, you have to be Catholic to get into a lot of schools, um, which are, you know, public schools, they're, they're state run schools um, and primary schools. And so, it becomes a large part of uh, like your third year in school. Uh, you do junior infants, senior infants, and then first class. And in first class is when people typically make their first Holy Communion around the age of seven or eight. And 
that's a really big deal in Ireland. Um, you know, you practice everything loads, you go through it all. Um, you have to figure out sins to tell the priest. Um, oh and like people are all like, oh, I had a fight with my sister or I used curse words with my mum. And you're, it's already fake from there. People are trying to think up fake sins just to have something to tell the priest. Right. And I remember finding it really bizarre. And the thing people were mostly excited about was that you get to choose a name, a saint's name. And obviously everyone wanted to choose like St. Blaise because of fucking Streets of Rage or St. Mario because <laughs> of Mar- Mario and, and Luigi. Yeah. And, um, and then the other thing was all your relatives and neighbours and stuff would give you money and toys. So they'd give you heaps of money, like 20 pounds or something, which was loads of money in the 80s for a kid. Um, yeah. And people would have, you know... They'd make hundreds, hundreds of pounds off it. So that was the thing I was mostly upset about, that I wasn't allowed to do my first Holy Communion and get all the money. Um, and then it was, the other side of it was that a lot of the um, practice and, and training for doing the first Holy Communion would take place in school, during school hours. And because I wasn't making my Holy Communion, I was the only one in the class who oh, wasn't no. doing that. So I had to go and sit with the junior infants, like the babies, um, while that was going on for a few hours, you know, a, a day or two a week, which was um, kind of, I, I don't know if it was designed to humiliate, but it definitely goes, you know, has that effect. It sounds like it. Yeah. That sounds like a tool for humiliation. Like you should just be going to this class anyways. You should be, you know, like, like that sounds like a penalty more than anything. Yeah. Go and sit with the babies if you're not able to make your communion kind of thing. And so it was, you know, it took me, it was purely material was why I wanted to do it. Uh, And then when I didn't do it, it was fine. And I remember a few more years passed and I was in school and one day, um, the teacher, it was maybe my second last year of primary school. Uh, and at the start and the end of the day, you would always bless yourself and say your prayers uh, and do that before you went home. And I remember um, the teacher didn't like me anyway. And she picked on me um, because I, I blessed myself the wrong way, like in the wrong direction or something. She made me stand in front of the class and keep doing it. And I would just do it just to go along with shit, just, you know, for a quiet life. Right. Um, and then... Um, she made me stand up in front of the class and do it over and over again. And I couldn't get it right. And she like roared at me. Did you not even make your first Holy Communion? And I said, no, I didn't. And she went. (gasps) (laughs) 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 Like I just admitted to murdering someone. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And she was shocked into silence and she was like, oh, oh, okay. Sit, Sit down then. I didn't know what to make of it because it was this anathema to her that you wouldn't have done it. And so. Growing up in Ireland, there's all these experiences like that, where it's just taken for granted that you're Catholic and you're part of it. And, you know, my friends would all be jealous because I didn't have to go to church on Sundays and things like that. But it was um, that was sort of my my upbringing. And that led to me um, feeling like I was atheist um, at quite a young age um, and being, you know, I was interested in in reading about about uh, things like that from when I was 10 or 11 or 12 and was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm an atheist. And then stayed like that, you know, got into punk, no gods, no masters, was into metal, right. like, you know, Jesus is a cunt, like all those kind of things. Like, <laughs> yeah. And uh, Marlon Manson was coming out and I just liked the anarchy of it all and how it's just challenging to authority and so on. And it wasn't until I was much older, um, like in my... 30s 
uh, that I started to question that um, and went through a whole series of experiences that led to me becoming, I guess, agnostic. And then only realizing probably in the last year or so that it's probably more like Gnostic. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and it kind of goes full circle of, of going like, uh, I don't know anything to, I don't believe in anything to, I believe in something to, I believe in everything. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, that, I mean, obviously our journey is to completely different paths, but that is kind of the progression I landed on too. It was like, I, I mean, I, I had the the base of starting out in something I believed firmly and was afraid of and terrified of and participating in heavily to like a breakaway moment where I didn't believe in anything. And then I was like, well, maybe there's something, but I don't know what it is. And then, yeah, that's not, now it's more, I know there's something, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. And having that kind of like healthy openness to it, um, like I was listening to your episode about child reincarnation, uh, reincarnation yeah. and, the, and the memories of children, which is fascinating. And I have some close friends who have uh, with uh, ayahuasca have uh, seen like past lives of themselves and, you know, a number of past lives. Uh, but that's nothing I've ever experienced. And so for me, it's very personal. You know, I take it on a personal basis. I don't disbelieve other people's uh, experiences, but until it happens to me, I'm not really able to um, say that I, I believe it. Um, right. And that's sort of been the, the, I guess, joyous process of um, um, just acknowledging the mystery of, of life and, and what it is um, yeah. in a really beautiful way that it keeps unfolding before me. And these suppositions I had that as you know a teenager or in my early 20s or even my late 20s I would have been like get the fuck out of town it's fucking bullshit um but but step by step it kind of becomes more and more a part of my my life um whether it's ancestral stuff or coincidences that lead you to pay attention to something that show you more um you know, layers of an onion as you go deeper and deeper and deeper. Right. Until you can't, you can't really deny it anymore. Um, where you go, even if this is some kind of Jungian psychology where it's stuff that's in me that I'm just using different tools to explore, whether it's art or music or psychedelics, there's still too many unknown uh, mysteries and coincidences that act as sort of stepping stones to even bigger ones each time. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I saw you post something about the uh, a lot of the different uh, coincidences that happened to you uh, while you were in Ireland last time, uh, and that that stood out to me. Like that you were saying, you know, <laughs> if you're kind of in the know on these things, coincidences might not be the right word. Uh, and yeah, I've I've been trying to go out of my way to start referring to things as like synchronicities as opposed to coincidences because that's something like uh i i completely admire where you're coming from with the like not uh like that basically what you were describing about not absorbing anything or not like taking anything on somebody else's word and having it be all on experience that's what gnosticism is about like that's the whole the whole thing is like i can't take anybody's word for it i have to experience like gnostic thought is my own knowing from my own experience and I admire the hell out of that, uh, but I've been I've been kind of experimenting and beyond experimenting at this point, uh, working with just belief in general, 
because there's so many, I don't know, there's so many alleys and avenues that I think close themselves off when you're just waiting for an experience to happen, as opposed to just maybe, maybe allowing the belief to just come through on its own. And like, you know, maybe just take somebody's word for it and see what, where you end up on the road down, like down the way. That's kind of what all this is about for me is I'm experimenting with that and also, you know, lining it up and obviously comparing it to the things that I do know and have experienced. But, you know, it's, I don't know, I think it's all part of a different process. And I, I, I like that we're kind of approaching it from two different angles. And also when you talk about like archetypes and the things that stand out to you, you also have brought up a lot of different things that uh, I have no experience with. So I wanted to ask you about some of those. Um. Mm -hmm. But actually, first of all, I kind of want to back up a little bit. Um, you said that there were like some set, like several different things that kind of pushed you into agnosticism. And then, as you said, Gnosticism. Uh, can you give me any examples of those kinds of things? Are there anything like really big that you'd be willing to talk about or just things that stand out? Um, yeah, well, the same as as with you. Uh, it was DMT. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah, that was sort of the big uh the big first step into the unknown for me, um, which was probably 2013 or 2012 was the first time I had it. Oh, wow. Um, okay. And it was, it was pretty funny because um, after I'd moved to Australia, I started working for this health food company, which was really hippie. It was called Loving Earth. And uh, I was just working in the factory there and then started supervising the factory and then no one was doing their marketing. So I just said, can I do your Facebook? Can I do like a newsletter for you? And started doing more of that stuff. I started getting to know the owner and his partner, who was the brand manager. And they were like mad hippies. Like they'd spent a long time in India. They had like a guru there and everything was about healing the world and helping people and so on. Oh, and wow. I was heavily skeptical i was you know like total total crust rocker hardcore metalheads just like this is bullshit fuck yeah. this shit and i remember one time um martha who's my good friend now who's the co-owner and brand manager uh wanted to do a intentioning session with uh the customer service team and some of the managers and me and the production manager from the factory were just kind of like looking at each other like what is this fucking shit and uh, just kind of barely tolerating it. And that's sort of a good uh, kind of low water mark for where I was okay. uh, before. <laughs> before. And so this guy, uh, this English chap called Doran, uh, joined the company. Um, and he's a bit of a Russell Brand kind of guy. Um, okay. Where like he had a very successful career in advertising and marketing and so on. And, you know, big expense accounts, cocaine, parties, clients, like flying all over the place. And it totally fucked him up uh, where, you know, by some point in his 30s, he ended up going to Peru um, and doing a whole month of cleansing in the jungle and learning about a lot of that stuff. Um, and then I only found all this out later because I had kind of gone into the role as being a marketing manager with no experience. Like I'd studied English and so on. Um, and they hired him uh, and suddenly he, he stole my job. <laughs> so suddenly I was like working second in command to him and I, I didn't like it. Um, but, you know, I, I realized pretty quickly I could learn a lot from him. So I started calming down and going, he's uh, he's a bit full on, but I kind of like him. And there's one day he's like, uh, call me, mate. I reckon it's about time you tried some DMT. And I was like, <laughs> you what? And he's like, yeah, mate, I think you'd really benefit from it. 
And I was kind of, to- I liked him at this stage and I was kind of tolerating it. So I was like, yeah, okay. So I was, I was mad into kickboxing and Muay Thai then and just training all the time. And so one Friday night after training, I went round to his house and I'd had acid and mushrooms and various things, 2CB, lots of psychedelics. I enjoyed them, but I never really, I remember the first time I had mushrooms, I was like, just more than the conventional five senses. Uh, but I don't, it wasn't anything spiritual for me. It was just fun and games. Um, and, and the same with acid. So then when we had DMT, uh, smoked it um, from a little um, a little water pipe, you know, those little ones that looked like a fucking Jack Daniels bottle or something. Oh, yeah, like those um, little bubblers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, smoked it um, and then just like launched into another dimension. And um, the actual pipe itself fucking exploded when I smoked it. <laughs> uh, and I was like, oh, I, had, I had enough moment of uh, consciousness to go, oh, is this part of the... And then I was like, gone. <laughs> wave of space invaders candy factory stuff and and all stuff like that where it was just crazy visuals right um and then i in that experience um i saw a friend of mine a close friend of mine who was quite influential over me um and uh i saw him doing some bad stuff um in the vision um and he morphed into the western figure of death um, and everything was kind of like day glow, like funny uh, cartoon images of death, like skulls and things. Um, and then he morphed into uh, Quetzalcoatl, the, the Mexican feather serpent god. Right. Um, and I I lived in Mexico for a while before that, and was quite fascinated with the mythology there. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, in twenty two thousand nine, um, mm. for about a year. Um. And so I recognized uh, him as as Tetsukotl and I got this very strong uh, impression, don't let this guy influence you. Don't listen to what he has to say. Um, he's on his own path and he's going to influence you in bad ways. Um, so after that, I, I had to think about it a lot and was like, what the fuck is this all about? I started distancing myself from him a bit and some uh, a lot of stuff came up about what, what he was really like. Um, and I was like, huh, okay. Um, how, where did that come from? Uh, and I, I still don't know. Uh, I don't know, again, was that my psyche or was it a warning from elsewhere or, or whatever? Right. I, I had a similar experience, not so on the nose as to have a person morph into like, a, you know, a deity or, you know, a figure of death or anything like that. But uh, in one of my, I don't know if I've mentioned this before on the podcast or whatever, but I'll just say it. Um, in one of my DMT trips I had, I, I asked a question about somebody in particular in my mm. life. And then I saw a figure of that person. And then that figure just morphed into like a void space, mm-hmm. uh, that like, I just got a really like dark and not good feeling from, and I tried to just ignore it, but it was like you said, it was kind of the beginning of a, of a wedge where I just kind of slowly separated from that person. And yeah, it, uh turned out to be for the better but yeah anyways (laughs) those messages come through pretty pretty clear when you're there and and like you said i I couldn't tell if it at the time especially if it was something that i already knew internally that i was just acknowledging in this space where i was accessing parts of me that you know maybe aren't accessible to my waking mind or 
if there was something else that I was actually speaking to telling me like, this is bad news, stay away. Yeah. And I guess I've come to after subsequent experiences, accept that it's not just something from in me. Um, you know, I guess it vibrates or, or it relates to stuff in me, but it, it, there's something external um, which has a, a, a higher vision um, or which is a, allows you to access whether it's, I, I, I don't know what it is. Um, but that was, that was the kind of most tangible part of it. But the intangible stuff started from the next day onwards. Um, I was like, what is this shit? Watch that spirit molecule film. Um, you oh, know, yeah. the one with Joe Rogan being a mad scientist and stuff. It's, it's, I, it hasn't aged that well, but it's still pretty not good. at all. But I, that was the one that was the one that I watched before I smoked DMT. That was one of the like researches that I did was the one. Yeah. That film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's well made, you know, the way they map out the evidence and the different um, studies at John Hopkins and, and so on. Right. Um, and so, but the intangible thing was from the next day onwards, I only noticed in retrospect again, uh, stuff that I had been wanting to do in my life, you know, on my to-do list, I, I just started doing it. I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't going, this is something I'm going to do. This is something I should do. Oh, when I have time, I'll do this. I just started doing it. Um, whether it was putting together inlays for releases that had been delayed for ages or calling up someone I'd lost touch with, or, you know, just things like that, um, where it was kind of like, um, <laughs> it was kind of like, if everything in, in your head is just this big jumbled bag of Lego and mm-hmm. like the DMT gave it a big shake and it started forming into pieces that you could then click together rather than go, it's just a big jumble. Right. Um, and after that, uh, I was like, okay, so ayahuasca is is similar thing. That's the same substance. Um, okay. That sounds pretty cool. Um, but I was like, oh, maybe sometime if the opportunity comes up. And so um, it must have been a year or so later, I met a friend for coffee who had used to work at the same company. She was the head of customer service there, a Kenyan woman called Cece, who I got on really well with. And I met her for coffee and she's like, Cormie, I have to tell you this thing. Uh, me and my partner have, have done it like four times now in the last four months and it's, it's changed our lives Um you need to do it. And I was like, what is it? What are you talking about? And she's like, it's ayahuasca. And I was like, are you fucking serious? You've been going off doing ayahuasca. And she's, you know, a, she's a serious person. <laughs> like she's not like, a, what, like once a month for four months. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's heavy. <laughs> yeah. And um, so um, she, I was like, okay, if you, if you're doing this, then it's not just some hippie uh, wacko shit. Um, and she was like, there's a there's a circle of, of people who do it with the shaman in uh, Victoria, you know, here in Australia, um, and people they have an in, an intention, you know, they show up, and I was like, okay, is it like I want to know the mysteries of the universe and stuff? And she was like, no, there people turn up and say I'm terrible at managing money, I just want to figure out why I keep doing this, and I was like, what, really? And she's like, yeah, and they get answers, and it works really well. So I I was like, okay, um, yeah, I'll go, and um, the way they did it is on a Friday and Saturday night, you do ayahuasca. And on the Sunday uh, day, you do San Pedro uh, mescaline. Oh, okay. um, I've never done first, that either. Um, it's it's pretty great. Um, so they call the, uh, I'll go into that later uh, okay. after the story. Um, so I went out with a friend of mine who, uh, a guy who did this tattoo, actually, didn't know he was into it. If you can see that one, he did it for me and my uh, wife's wedding. Um, and he's a tattooist here, a punk. 
So one day I noticed he had a, a patch saying DMT on his jacket. And I was like, oh, you're into that? Uh, and he was like, yeah. So we started talking about it and he'd had crazy experiences. So the two of us went out to uh, to do uh, this ayahuasca uh, c- ceremony um, and drove about an hour and a half outside of Melbourne um, and went to the house. Guy opened a door who it turned out he knew from 20 years earlier. Uh, he was like, what the fuck are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I'm one of the helpers. Um, and this was another metal guy who was a tattooist um, who had gone down a very dark path. And most of their mutual friends were all dead, uh, drug overdoses. And he had turned his life around. And um, a lot of it happened through ayahuasca and so on. Um, so we went in and it, it was it's quite strange. It feels almost cult-like. Um, the way it was set up was one half of the room, uh, all the women uh, go around and you have, you know, you spend a night there. So you've brought like brought mattress or bedding or, you know, duvet. And then the other half is, is the men. And the way that happened to set it up, I was beside my friend uh, Cece, who had gone that time as well. And so um, you go through the ceremony of, of drinking uh, the ayahuasca Um and then I just sat down and, and meditated uh, and just waited for, for things to happen. Um, and immediately, um, you know, or maybe 20 or 30 minutes in, um, I saw a vision of an Australian Aboriginal man's face um, with a big beard uh, and very heavy brows and piercing eyes looking at me. And I was like, this is pretty weird. Uh, okay, I'll just look back. Um, and then I was like, yeah, this is fine. Uh, but what what about my ancestors? What about my um you know, this, is, this isn't my ancestral lineage or anything. And I got this very uh, s- severe, I guess, message that was like, you're not ready. It's not it's, it's not your time for that yet. First, oh. you have to deal with all this other stuff. Um, yeah. You got to deal with where you are. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay. And then the word police flashed up in front of me. I was like, police? What the fuck is that about? I, I don't give a fuck about the police. Um, and so... Then uh, it started taking me on all these journeys, um, thousands of little stories about myself and my own life um, and things from when I was very young, from my parents' lives. And through this whole series of things, I eventually, oh yeah, so my intention was where should I best focus my efforts in my life? That was my intention for the trip because I was really into martial arts. I was really into writing, music. My, my work was going well and I was just never had any time and had all this stuff going on. So I was, I was kind of looking for an answer to go, what, what one of all these things should I do? Where, where should I, what's my path? And so through these um, thousands of stories, uh, I got the, I I was told that my role in the world and in life is to be a protector uh, and a protector of people. And it answered all these questions like this. Why am I like, I'm, I'm essentially a pacifist. Like I hate violence, but I love fighting. Um, and so yeah. I was always like, why do I hate hurting people, but I love fighting? And why, what is this about? And it was like, oh, okay. And so I got all these stories. People feel safe around you because uh, you protect them because they know that you're capable of, of things. And so bit by bit, I was like, okay, this is why I hate the police. Um, because... <laughs> I see them as uh, perverting their role to serve and protect, to be a protector of people. And actually they're abusing that power most of the time. And so it's why I always had this conflicted relationship about things. And so it it was a really fascinating experience where it was a much bigger answer than I was looking for or or I was ready for. 
Right. But it it gave me such a tool uh, to um, to communicate with the world and with myself about. Um, and it was, you know, in a, in a subsequent trip, I, I got the message that uh, I was to be a brother to people. I was to be a brother to everyone. And through these tools that I got, being a brother, being a protector, it was, it's not easy because, you know, if you're protecting people, there's an arrogance to it. And sometimes you have to make a decision, you know, it's sometimes it's about protecting them from themselves. Um, right. And it's a lot of responsibility. So some of the visions I had were of me as a like tyrannical figure, a dictator, like being on a podium and all these like admiring crowds being like, yeah, like in front of me and me being like, yes, I am the fucking, I am the, 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 the Lord and like feeling the power and being like, this is glorious. And then having all these messages going, no, this is the wrong way. This is dark. Don't go there. And being like, oh yeah, this is where it can lead to. Okay. Okay. Back up, back up. And, and all these different stories. But in the end, it simplified it down to things like you're a protector. That's what you need to do in a situation. You're a brother to people. So if you're ever unsure how to relate to anyone in the world, in life, you go, what would I do if I was this person's brother? And it makes it's like a razor that just cuts things down the middle and makes things so easy. Yeah, um, that's beautiful. And you, you can be a big brother. You can be an annoying big brother. You yeah. can be an annoying little brother. Right. Uh, you can be that arrogant brother who's like, no, you're not doing that. You know, or you can be like well, you know, have you thought about it this way? Maybe we could try this. Or, and it was just um, liberating is the word. It, it right. liberated me to be more of myself. That's awesome. So after that, that was where I was like, okay, fucking hell, this shit is really serious. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't go back to it uh, for another couple of years because I had enough to get on with, you know, from the messages I'd received in that session. Um and that was, I think, 2013. And I didn't go back and do ayahuasca again until 2015. Um, and that time, this first time we only went for one night, me and my friend. Um, mm. And then everyone who wasn't staying did uh, had a circle in the morning to share your experiences. And everyone had a vastly different experience, um, which was what was fascinating to me. For some people, it was really, really dark. Um, yeah. They, there was one girl there who had, uh, she literally visualized um, this burden she'd been carrying around with her uh, of always trying to care for other people uh, as this little monkey gremlin creature on her back. And during the course of it, it assumed, a, you know, a, a, a visual identity and she ended up hugging it and cradling it and letting it go. And it left her and she just was relieved of this burden where she didn't feel obliged to care for other people. You know, someone who's overly empath empathetic or something like that. Right. Um, and everyone's experience was so other people had pure joy. You know, it was their second or third time doing it. And they were like, the previous times were really dark and hard, but this time I was just bathed in some kind of light um, and it was just really beautiful. Um, so it, it was just fascinating how different it was for everyone. Yeah. But um, it wasn't until I went back two years later and I went for the three nights um, where, you ha where you drink ayahuasca the first two nights and do San Pedro on the third night. Okay. And yeah. they call they call um, ayahuasca um, the mother, la madre. Mm -hmm. um, and they call um, San Pedro uh, el abuelo, the uh, grandfather. Okay. Um, and it's sort of like the mother gives you uh, these hard lessons that you just need for your life to, to survive and to grow. And the grandfather gives you more of a hug, uh, but 
uh, very firm, strict lessons of how to integrate the stuff the mother has told you. And it's a much uh, softer experience. Or it was the first time I did it anyway um, and helped to integrate a lot of things. Um, and just to just loosen up things a bit. I, I rem- one thing I remember that first time was I really wanted to do uh, some drawing and, and art, but I felt uh, like I wasn't good enough to do it and I wasn't good at it so I shouldn't do it and it took me four or five hours to work up the courage to just get some crayons and paper and just start drawing and then it was this huge liberation and you know it's just a small thing right but but, you know when you're when you're a creative person and you like do a lot of creative work and produce a lot of stuff you're always judging yourself quite harshly you know criticizing yourself so it's hard to just make things just for the sake of them especially if you reach like a level of proficiency where you're comfortable with one like skill set and then you try to like venture into another one. It's like, I'm just garbage at this right away. How did that, like, how am I supposed to enjoy something I'm garbage at? I've been used to enjoying all these things that I've taken time to get good at. Yeah. And like, since I was a kid, I always wanted to draw all my mates were great at drawing. I was really into comics. We were always trying to do little comics and they would make, you know, good ones and mine were always shit, but it was sort of like, I just couldn't get better at it. Um, and something which strange which happened was, uh, I've got like two two small kids now and um, they're always like, daddy, would you draw me this, draw me that? And in the last few months, I miraculously was suddenly able to draw and without practicing or anything. And it's fucking weird. Uh, I don't know if it was as a result of, uh, I suspect it's got something to do with microdosing psilocybin, um, which Are I've been doing, doing that. I, I was for about a year and a half and I, I've eased off now. Um, and I That's still, <laughs> well, awesome, I was, but I was only doing it once every week or two oh, okay, uh, okay. and just a small amount, like, uh, 0.15, uh, okay. milligrams or something. Um, but suddenly they'd be like, daddy, will you draw me a chameleon? And I'm just like, yeah. And it's like a pretty good chameleon or like, daddy, will you draw me a princess? And it's like a pretty good princess. And I'm like, fucking hell, I can't draw. Why, why, how can I? Why can I draw now? Yeah. And um, maybe it's something to do with, you know, right side, left side of the brain and, and letting go right. of things a bit. I um, mean, also, like, you're just doing it for your daughter's enjoyment, not because it's supposed to be good. You're not going to put it on a flyer or, like, post it up anywhere. Yeah, it's yeah. The natural, like, uh, I've also, that also makes me think of, that's there's, like, um, a lot of, like, specifically Christian mythology about, like, talents and, like, you know, the things that you are given and uh, that's something that it's not only Christian, it's other in other mythology as well. But when you use the things that you've been given, other things just start showing up is basically the moral of all of these stories. Like when you, you know, use the things you're proficient at and that you are naturally gifted at, then out of nowhere, you'll start noticing you can do things you've never been able to do before. It's kind of the, you know, journey behind the mythology the lesson behind the mythology and it sounds like maybe that's what's happening to you i mean you've been putting out amazing music for a long time you've been writing putting yourself out there in all these different ways and like you know now you can just relax and draw pictures you're impressed (laughs) with with your kids i don't know that's crazy yeah well it's sort of like you know a rising tide uh, carries all ships kind of thing where as you let go and just accept uh different things you, you get more and you it gives you this abundance of, of of things to use for yourself and for the people around you and it's it's pretty fascinating um and kind of going back to dmt um 
similar to that that first you know your your own experience that you had where you received um a warning about someone yeah um most of the times i've had dmt it hasn't been that literal it's been quite um it's been a lot more figurative or um confusing or, or just sort of mystical i guess oh really um but yeah, but there was one other time when with this same guy, uh, Ozzy, uh, who I'd gone out to um, uh, do ayahuasca with the first time. Um, it was 2015, I think. Uh, no, it was Christmas 2014. Yeah, it was this time seven years ago. We went out to, have you been out to Goongara in in Australia? Um, I don't think so. Did you go out to any of the old growth forests here? No, we. I, I did not. I sadly venture much outside of Melbourne other than to, you know, do touring on the coast or whatever. Like that's yeah. the thing. The thing that I like really think about now is like, if, if I were to do the same things that I had done when I like in 2018, when I was doing all this traveling, I would do it so differently. There's so many other things like the things that I was interested in. Then I would be like, fuck that. I want to go see like I want to go see the the old expanse and like all of the, you know, like I would have wanted to see the coral reef. I would have, you know, and then in all of Europe, there's so many things I think about. Like, obviously, I had a great time. I'm happy it happened the way it happened. I'm lucky as hell to have seen it all. But my interests now and my interests then, like I was just happy to be making money going to shows and able to save up and do what I wanted to do at the time. But now it would be a completely different experience. So that like I think about that kind of shit and I kick myself for it all the time now. But uh, yeah, no, I never got to see any of that stuff. Uh, there'll, there'll be plenty more opportunities in the future. Yeah, hopefully. But um, this place, it's out in a out in the forest. It's a place called Goongara, uh, where a lot of the the punks and crusties are, you know, the Australian word from ferals mm-hmm. uh, would, would be out doing forest blockades to save the old growth from logging out there. Oh, okay. And some of them, uh, I guess, lived, ended up moving there permanently because um, it's got a really special feeling uh, and they successfully blockaded and saved the forest out there. Uh, and there's a bunch of, of people who have community out there now. So we did a couple of punk festivals out there. Uh, which was sick because they have this old pub called the Roadhouse, and it's sort of it's like um, temperate rainforest, um, really beautiful dense forest, and you have to drive down an hour long uh, curving bad dirt road, uh, so, and then you, you get to this Roadhouse, which is like you know some Louisiana swamp shack type looking place. Okay, uh, and then uh, it's just crazy punk festival there, um, such as life festival yeah it was fucking awesome uh but it took a lot of work i helped organize it the first year or two and then it was it was just so much work to get everything out there and vehicles get all the booze out there generator fuel everything God, yeah and, and then if the weather is shit you're, you're fucked um because it floods down there too oh damn but, but but me and my mate decided um we'd go out there for the new year's and christmas period and um, my partner's a nurse so she's often working during holidays so i was like oh everyone goes home it's boring being here i don't have much family here and things so let's just go out to the forest and, and smoke dmt for a week <laughs> uh, so we just went out with heaps of weed and booze and dmt and just kind of had this really nice um calm meditative time and um one of the trips it's this is the most amazing dmt trip i had um we smoked it um and it's not the way i'd usually like to like it wasn't 
like he played some ritual music and he did like a sage burning beforehand and so on. But we were pretty drunk, you know, and we'd been like, I don't really like doing it drunk very much. Yeah. But, uh, but um, so I smoked it. And the only way I can describe it was there was just this little girl energy. Um, everything was rainbows and unicorns and pastels. And like, just, I was like, is this what it's like to be like a three-year-old girl? Like, this is amazing. Everything was just ponies and, and soft and happy and, and safe and smiley. And I was like, this is so awesome. I was just kind of wandering around in this, you know, wonderland uh, for a while. And then I had a vision of my uh, my wife um, and she had these two little baby girls uh, in her arms and uh, my protective spirit was around them. And I got this strong message. This is the most you're going to learn from this lifetime. And I was like, whoa, what the fuck? And so I came out of the trip and I was like, my wife had really wanted kids for a few years. And I was like, oh, later, later, later. Yeah, maybe eventually later. We've been together like 17 years now. And I was always like later. Um, And after that, I was like, okay, let's do it. And we had uh, two little girls. Um, And it's fucking crazy because, you know, you, you can the probability of it isn't that wild in terms of the odds. You know, it's like, what well, I figured it out one time. It's one in 32 or one in 64 or something. Right. Well, still... I mean, that also depends on like what you're, you know, genetically pass on and all that stuff. I mean, that's, uh, but still yeah. like, you've, you've actually told me this story one time, I think at the tote when we were talking once and I, that like blew me away then that, that was actually one of the things that made me think like maybe some of the stuff I've seen on DMT is more, then I'm like, I've been kind of writing it off for a while, you know? Yeah. And that made me start taking it much more seriously. Um, and also I, I, I got to the point with meditation where I, um, I, I think I was endogenously re- releasing DMT and um, which I'd read about. And I started noticing in my meditation practice, uh, I would get the smell of acacia, um, at a certain point every time. Yeah. And the smell of acacia is one of those things that, um, I associate so strongly with DMT now um, and I would uh, start feeling that and I would start having uh, visions um, which is just kind of visualizing things, you know, with my, my ancestors or, or um, my my children in the future or kind of myself in the past, like spirals of time, um, these kind of things. Yeah. And I just started accepting them as, oh, this might be real actually. Um this isn't just my conscious mind trying to make sense of a crazy world. So some of this is external um, and I'm, it's not me in control of it. It's being uh, beamed to me. It's being transmitted to me somehow. Yeah. Um, or which you're I felt, connecting to it somewhere through inside or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which I felt with music for a long time um, or certain types of music that I make. I'm like, I don't know where this came from. I couldn't write this again. This doesn't make any sense. It was, it just came from somewhere else. And I'd read people, uh, you know, in interviews talking about that stuff before, but it hadn't happened to me before, maybe 2010, like before I'd discovered any of this stuff. And I was like, oh yeah, this fucking, that happened to me. Um, And it would often be when I was in a heavily depressive state uh, or when I'd been using like a lot of bad drugs as well, um, where I was open. And it wasn't always like nice. Sometimes I felt malevolent, like it wasn't like necessarily positive music or, or right. anything Something like that. Something that's kind of clawing to get out as opposed to flowing through you. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so all those things have, have made me, you know, have been part of that journey to Gnosticism where I'm like, I need to pay more attention to this because everything in Western scientific rationalism goes, if you can't measure it and prove it, it's not real. And you go, no, that's fucking bullshit. It's right. so primitive. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I think in hopefully in a few dozen years, but probably maybe hundreds of years, I think we'll look back at ourselves now the way we look at people 500 years ago who thought, you know, lightning and thunder was because Thor was angry or something right. rather than going is because of electrons in, in the clouds and, you know, different right, right. Uh, um, chemical processes. And I think we'll look at things like uh, empathy um, and stuff that we call uh, like psychic abilities and so on now as, as just um, another form of intelligence. Yeah, it's just a scientific process we didn't know now. <laughs> we don't know now, but we might know. Like, yeah, that's another thing that a lot of this, um, a lot of the reading that I've done to do this show and just in my own personal interest, uh, psychic ability and like kind of the scientists who have ventured into these weird, just, you know, things that are considered woo-woo or paranormal and like come back with either you know their lives completely changed and data to support or just like some of them are just like i don't know but here's the data and it's fucking crazy it wasn't what i expected you know and there's so much of that but those people just immediately get written off as soon as what they present doesn't match the the flowing narrative and it's like that that episode i did on children who remember past lives like that dude was doing his research in the fucking 50s and 60s when he started and like I think I mentioned it in that episode, like the, the people who were reading his research at the time were like, this dude's going to be the next fucking Freud or young people are going to know this dude's name for years to come. He's going to be celebrated. And then he died in like 2008 and like relative obscurity, like only people who really care about learning this kind of shit, even know his name. So like, I think those things are starting to catch on more though. And maybe this would be a good way to transition into asking you, if you feel like there's any connection between this and the type of like disclosure that's happening around UFO stuff right now and those kinds of things. Cause I know a lot of that is coming from like authoritative figures and things that I don't necessarily trust. And a lot of other people don't necessarily trust and with a lot of good reason, but um, like the things that you're describing and that I have experienced in my own like psychedelic experiences and meditative experiences uh, show up a lot in the research that people do of, of like UFO experiencers and like abductees and all that other stuff. Do you, do you feel there's any tie to that or is that relevant to you at all? Um, I've read interviews with people who, where I see the, um, the commonalities between these kind of experiences and their experiences um, in terms of the stuff that's being revealed, like by the Pentagon and so on about, you know, UFO mm -hmm. stuff. I think that's just a distraction. Um, right. To, to be honest, I think that's just a way to try and maintain control um, yeah. as, as they're going, you know, um, just um, politics and society um, have become so uh, extreme and they're developing at such a rapid pace in the last 10 years or so that um, I think this is just more and more of a smokescreen to keep people distracted while... Um, wealth and power is just siphoned upwards at an astonishing rate. Oh, definitely. Um, like just thinking, um, even in the last 10 years of the perspective I would have had on uh, the future and the way things are going, um, 
things are happening now that I wouldn't have expected to happen until 50 or 100 years in the future right. in terms of social control and uh, authoritarianism. Um, and I think they're extremely sophisticated and completely unscru- unscrupulous about what they'll use uh, to maintain that control. Um, and I think that kind of goes back to, you know, like the guy who was doing the research on past lives and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, or that, that book that I think you read as well, uh, about the sacrament, the original Christian sacrament being psychedelic uh, drugs. Um, oh, no, I haven't read that, but I know what the book you're talking about. You did recommend that to me. That's on my list, but my list is too fucking long right now, especially yeah. when I'm, I'm trying to read like four books for like the next, like for each of the next upcoming episodes that I'm trying to do for this. So, but that is on there. I know that's the, uh, that's like um, the stone ape theory kind of like tied into that as well. Yeah. It, it's about, um, What's it called? Uh, Eleusis, uh, the the Greek um, um, the Greek temple, which was for communion with the gods, uh, which was right. then I can't remember the name of the book. Um, anyway, I'll figure it out and I'll, uh, I'll. I you know what? You actually recommended it to me, and I saw it at a bookstore the next day, but it was like sixty bucks or some shit there, and I was like, I'm not going to do this right now. But I do it. It, uh, it has something to do with like the early Christian uh, Christianity and early uh, spirituality being essentially a mushroom cult. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And um, the guy who wrote it, um, he has never used any uh, psychedelic substances. He's like a Latin scholar. It's all uh, meticulously um, researched and footnoted from primary sources in the Vatican secret archives and so on. So, it's like uh, it was given to me by a friend of mine uh, and who's very open to, you know, the wildest shit. So I was like reading it with a grain of salt, but I just couldn't um, deny it because it was so well written. Right. Um, but th- those kind of things, I guess I've become more open to the fact that there is arcane and esoteric knowledge uh, out there. And it's uh, kept hidden because a lot of people are threatened by it and aren't ready for it. And if, if the truth about a lot of things like that is known, suddenly all the power of different churches and, and religious organizations just goes out the window. Right. Because um, again, it comes back to that thing and the, the, um, the conflict between uh, early Christian mystics and different Gnostic mis- uh, mysticism against the church um, you know, whether it's Rome or whether it's uh, the, the Protestant church, where they're like, no, we are the sole source versus people saying, no, I want to have a personal communion and relationship right. with uh, God or the universe or whatever you call it. Um, and that's one of those things where I've I've kind of struggled with uh, going like, do I believe in God now? Like, I don't know. Like what? And kind of going, well, I do, but it's not like what people call gods. It's not like right, it's um, not a man in the sky. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not, and and so you know you follow you you trace the rabbit down the hole a bit about like what what is it then and you're like well, um, I don't think it's conscious in in the way we consider consciousness because uh, consciousness is sort of linear in a way I guess um, when we think of our own thoughts, mm-hmm. um, but it, it's sort of then you go well it's something that's omnipotent and eternal and ever present and you go well that's quite. Um, similar to the other versions of it. But in the end, I think regardless of whether it's Hinduism, Buddhism, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, uh, it's all the same thing. Uh, whether it's hippie universe stuff, it's all the same thing. It's people just trying to get to the same answer 
um, right. with all with all different equations. Um, and you know, are taking ten different roads to the top of the mountain. They all still get you there. And it doesn't matter whether you use like a car or, or a bike or you go by foot or you fly there, you, you still find your way there. Right. But I'm skeptical of people who can get there very quickly because I think that that to me smells of indoctrination um, rather than discovery. Right. So I think if you're not skeptical about it, you're open, <laughs> you're open to being um, manipulated. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's what happened with like, you know, that whole QAnon shit, obviously, like, honestly, like, I think a lot of the people who found that stuff were in a very obviously vulnerable place because everything like, especially recently with like the wave in 2020 that happened, uh, you know, everybody's finding out very quickly that things aren't what they seem, but instead of looking within themselves and facing the things that they're scared about within themselves, they found some guy on the internet that's telling them how everything is and what the truth is. And they're just accepting that because, because that state of like just awakened to the fact that you've been lied to your entire life is the most vulnerable place you can be like yeah. imaginable. Like that's it. And it, it's hard to balance like how to go forward from there. Like if you're looking for answers, there's plenty of them out there, <laughs> you know, mm. it's all over the place. And it creates a vacuum, you know, nature hates a vacuum. Something will come in to replace that. Right. So you see this all through your life in the people, you know, and people um, get rid of religion. They reject the state. Uh, they reject authority and they replace it with something else. Right. And you see it all the time in subcultures, whether it's hippies, punks, metalheads, um, the new religion becomes no gods, no masters, or right. the new religion becomes like, be like a metal dude which is you know i'm satanic like metal warlord and it's just all the same christian shit it's right. misogyny it's you're domination. still working in their their framework they built yeah. all this and you're just playing in it still yeah exactly and it's just kind of like don't when you reject one thing don't just accept the first thing that comes along next like right. keep questioning it and, and keep going. Is this good? Is this not? Right. And it's, it, it's, it's sort of, I don't want to say disappointing, but it's a bit exasperating. You know, when, when you see people um, create a new religion out of politics or, or whatever, um, which, yeah. which doesn't give them, a, which doesn't, which doesn't, it, it diminishes them, right? It doesn't, um, it, it doesn't build them up. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't empower them. No, uh, it, it disempowers them in like a very literal way. Like I, I was listening to somebody talk about this recently. And and the fact that like, at least in America, we're so focused on the presidential election and that's it. We stay focused on the presidential election where as a single citizen, your vote counts the absolute least, if it counts at all, depending on who you're talking to and where you live and all these other things. Uh, that's That's what we're supposed to focus on. But we don't know the names of our like local sheriffs or our mayors or like, you know, I don't know who represents me in the state uh, Senate here. I don't know. I don't know any of that shit. And yeah. like that's I feel like that is by design. There's this big dog and pony show that everybody pays attention to. Mm. And then down here where we actually have the most power, where me and a few of my neighbors could actually swing something just by having a couple conversations with people. Yeah. We're, we're taught to not even pay attention to that. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, I mean, it's hard because when you realize that the big show is 
you know, where you have no power at all, essentially, it's hard to want to pay attention to anything else. Yeah. So it's like you're either in up there or you're not in at all for most people. Yeah. And that's no accident, you know, right. and you see the same with all the pillars of society, which hold true power, whether it's politics and leadership, it's hell, it's uh, there's all these barriers to entry. You can't, uh, you're not allowed in. Right. Uh, with with finance and money, I've been learning about that in the last couple of years. It's so difficult to get your head around because it's designed to be like that. Right. It's complicated um, on purpose. Yeah. And with religion as well. Um, and that's so the, the last time I did ayahuasca, which was December 2019. It was two years ago. Um, and that was when I had a really interesting uh, breakthrough that kind of relates back to this. Um, and uh, one of the helpers there, uh, an older woman called Julia, who's been there each time I've gone, she's a re- really beautiful woman. And she, I was like, this is really strange. I feel like uh, praying. I've never felt like that ever in my life. And she was like, well, you know, it's almost as if it has some kind of power and other people don't want you to realize that power. I was like, yeah, it actually makes sense when you say it. Um, and it's sort of like, you know, Christianity, Judaism, etc. Et They're just fucking McDonald's and Burger King and KFC of religion. Um, and you're not going to get the best food from those places. You're going to get it from the local place, which is cooked by a real person. And so... What happened in that trip for me was, um, what was what was my intention? Um, uh, I, I can't remember. It, it'll come back to me. Um, but basically, I went through a series of, um, again, I guess, revelations. And it wasn't very visual. This time, it was more emotional. And it was a lot of feelings where um, I was, uh, I suddenly became aware of uh my ancestors um where so my father uh, we can't find out we couldn't find out who any of his family were because he was adopted and he was born into a magdalen laundry um which were these homes for women who got pregnant without being married in ireland uh, run by nuns and they were essentially women's prisons where if you were pregnant outside of wetlock you'd go there and you'd have to do hard labor uh, until you had the baby and then the baby would be taken off you and sold um, to Catholic couples in the US and uh, the UK. And um, some of them were adopted out to families in Ireland. And my dad was one of them. And so he couldn't find out. He was searching him him and my mum for his whole life to try and find out who his mum was. And um, it was sort of a bit hopeless um, until suddenly in 2019, um, he got an email from one of those Ancestry.com things uh, okay. that, that, that he had done. And they'd found a, a match uh, for a woman in um, Brisbane, in Australia, who was a full blood relative of his. Um, and uh, long story short, he found out he had four full sisters from the same parents who... Um, were born after him for younger sisters and he he met the family uh, and they were they had no idea any of this had happened and they gradually put the picture together where um his my my grandparents uh, my dad's parents um were already together um my granny got pregnant and they uh, she was put in one of these homes and then they stayed together after that but my grandfather never went home to his hometown 
And people were like, what happened? Why, why did he do that? Uh, and he was on the local football team. You know, he would have been like a man about town. Like, and when you're on the local football team in Ireland, Gaelic football, that's sort of like, a, you know, the keys to the city. Right. You, you'll, never, you'll never have to buy a drink again. You'll never have to worry about getting a job. It's the closest thing to royalty you get. Um, and to give that up is pretty serious. So he obviously had been bitter about his family's response or his community's response to his partner becoming pregnant. And so he, he never went back there. And I had come to a feeling where I felt quite negatively about him. I felt that he was a coward. Uh, how could he? I just believed the worst uh, that he had abandoned uh, my granny to this uh, prison for, for women uh, rather than running away with her to England or somewhere. Um, and it wasn't true. He, he stayed with her and they, they had a life together and they had uh, four more children together. And I just started to connect with um, how sad and tortured he must have been to have to give up his son and someone who's, you know, it was very patriarchal, misogynistic society, someone who's like a sportsman and really into sports. And it wouldn't be the same having four daughters as it would be having a son who could play in the football team and, you know, regardless of whether that's a right or a wrong attitude, that's the kind of thing that people would have had. Right. So so pretty soon I started feeling this connection with them and I started going, I just started feeling gratitude uh, and I started almost, I hadn't planned this, it just kind of happened. I started going through a litany of basically thinking about my grandmother uh, and I'd only had one grandmother on, on my mum's side who was alive in my lifetime. My grandfather died when my mum was quite young. And I started thinking about her and I started thinking about her, my mother's mother and my mother's father. And I was thinking and thanking my mother's mother's father and visualizing them as real people and going back my mother's mother's uh, mother's father and, and kind of visualizing it like a tree in my head. Uh, and at a certain point, I just felt this like opening of light on me where I just suddenly kind of broke through and felt they were with me um, and I only realised later it was when I got to uh, the seventh generation of it and the shaman uh, kept singing these different songs that had about uh, seven, seven generations and seven people and it was only in the morning when I mapped out and wrote down everything that had happened and that's this old um, I think uh, Iroquois uh, idea of the seven generation principle where your actions will echo for seven generations. So what you do now, you have to be thinking about seven generations in the future and you're uh, acting on things from seven generations in the past. And it wasn't until the next day that I approached the shaman and was like, what were all those songs about? You kept saying things about seven and seven generation and he explained it to me. And then I, I wrote down, I was like, oh, well, this is what happened uh, with me last night. And all of a sudden I've been in so many fucking crazy situations in my life like very close to being killed a number of times, just really dark things. And I realized suddenly it wasn't just, um, um, it wasn't just coincidence or, or good luck. Uh, Cause I've always been extremely lucky. I felt I was being protected uh, by my ancestors because they knew I had some work to do for them. Um, and so I went through all this. It was really joyous and also quite sorrowful. Like I was, I was crying a lot and accepting it and kind of realizing I felt very alone for a long time and realized that I wasn't alone. I'd always had this, uh, these ancestors with me protecting me. And, um, after that, I, I began, I built an altar and began praying to them. Um, and it's not to any God, it's just to my ancestors, to people who gave me life. Um, and over the last year and a half, especially that was right before the pandemic begun. 
Mm-hmm. And so that's been so uh, helpful for me over the last year when I've been feeling uh, distraught or miserable or, you know, like all of us, like our lives have, have been narrowed down to very close focuses and being able to go, look, my ancestors lived through famines, wars, um, um, genocides, um, all sorts of religious oppression, colonial oppression, imperial oppression, and they survived and they made good lives and they gave me life. So I can get through this. This is fucking nothing. This is easy. Right. And it's been so helpful. Uh, it's been empowering is the word. Definitely. Where it just gives me a longer vision on things. And a really funny part of that was with San Pedro. Uh, I had had such a positive experience the Saturday and the Sunday, or the Friday and Saturday night. I was like, let's go for it. And the shaman gave me this massive cup of San Pedro. And um, then another one, and then another one. And I was just fully out there, like going completely like wild with the, uh, uh, they play music, you have the gongs and so on, do the sound healing stuff. And I was just in another gener- another dimension with it all but in the middle of it uh, it got quite dark where um um the only way i can describe it really is i, I was lying down and i could feel uh, through the sound and through the music like there was different hooks attached to different parts of my body um and um they were it felt like uh, like fishing line uh, wrapped yeah. all around me um and as certain different sounds would happen uh, and if I could stay with it and keep focused on it, I'd feel them unravel. And they were of different colours. Some of them were like neon blue, some were neon green, some were like neon red. Other ones were kind of more earthy colours. And over a series of hours, I'd feel this like immense pain in different parts of my body. And I'd feel this like, like unravelling and it would flick off. And I'd be like, oh, Jesus Christ. And just fully just let go of some kind of pain. And um, I... I it went on for hours and hours and I was having all these really dark visions of blood and guts and uh, like battlefield full of corpses and um, just like really, really dark shit. And I was, I was really distraught from it. And uh, I was talking to the shaman. I was like, I don't know how much more of this I, I can take. I feel like I've been in a war. And he's like, you have, um, but this isn't your stuff. This is your, your, your other people's stuff. And, yeah. and you're helping them by, by releasing them from it. Um, and, and I found out later on then about um, a story of uh, a cousin of mine who was in the First World War and had died um, in no man's land and been found. Uh, he was a twin and his sister uh, had realised when he was dead and woke up in the middle of the night, like back in Ireland when he had died on the battlefield in, in the Somme, I think. And they didn't find him until a month later. Uh, and he was all wrapped up in barbed wire and he got caught in barbed wire. Wow. So I was like what the fuck? Um, Because that had really upset a lot of the family. He was sort of the shining star, you know, supposed to do a lot, got all these um, medals and so on. And after that, uh, I just, it took me a few days to come out of it. I was afraid I wouldn't come out of it at all. It was really, really full on. I couldn't sleep at all that night. Um, And then after that, I felt that I released them and now they're helping me. And where I feel like I have these kind of spiritual bodyguards or like bouncers or something who are who are like this army of helpers who are just protecting me from stuff right and, and it's um it's it's very hard to put into conventional terms it doesn't sound totally crazy but <laughs> right yeah it's, <laughs> i mean that's... It's, it's 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 a wild thing because it wasn't pleasant but um it was it was really hard work but it was 
it wasn't just for me. And that was what drove me on. It was for my, my wider family and my blood and the people who gave me life. And um, it, it's, it's tricky because a lot of this gets tied up with um, stuff that far right and, you know, people with essentialist ideas about identity and nationality and, and uh, genealogy um, kind of pick up on. But it's sort of nothing about it is, is about superiority. Um, no. I just wish that people were able to accept um, their, their own identity, uh, the good and the bad, you know, because right. especially in punk and in uh, politics and, and people who are who live by their convictions, they often have conflicts with their families and they often don't have a good relationship with their family or some of their family. And they often end up rejecting everything about their family, which necessarily involves rejecting themselves because that's where they came from. And it's at the most basic psychological level. If you don't love yourself, you're never going to be happy. Right. And if you have that conflict with your family, and it doesn't mean you have to accept bullshit. It doesn't mean you have to forgive like your, your parents if they were beating you up or even if they were just emotionally violent to you, like pricks to you. Yeah. It just means to go, that's, that's only a very, very small part of the story. And right. it's like you, you <clears throat> genuinely, literally go back hundreds of generations and when you start to map it out, you know, in a in a real sense, you go, you're connected to probably millions of other people on this planet through your blood, if you go back far enough. And you start having this much bigger view of what we are uh, as, as a species uh, and our connections with each other, which aren't simply about fucking nationality or geography or, or even just um, even blood. You know, because a lot of it is we don't know. You know, you think someone's your dad or you think so, you don't know who your parents are and you start going, it's sort of irrelevant because you're connected to everyone when you go back far enough. Yeah. But, wow. Yeah, see, the way that you're talking about the ancestor thing, that's something that I am guilty of what you were talking about, kind of rejecting the whole, um, the whole lot of it just because I'm not comfortable with being a white person in America, you know what I mean? Like, mm. I mean, that is something that I feel like a lot of people like can necessarily relate to if you're on colonized land. Yeah. Uh, or by person in Australia, you know, it's, it's right. the same. And like, also just because like, even within my family, I know that like, so my, both of my grandparents on my dad's side were deaf. Um, <laughs> I don't know anything about my father's father's family because mm. they live, I know that they lived in California and they sent him he to a facility in Tennessee. That's why my family's from Tennessee mm. uh, to, because he was deaf and they didn't want to deal with him. So mm. they sent him to a seventh day Adventist facility that took care of people with mental disabilities and people with physical disabilities. So he was treated as if he had a mental disability because he couldn't hear. And uh, that manifested in really crazy ways in his life. And I just have never known where to go back to find those things. But I hear a lot of people talk about ancestors and the connection that they feel to the ancestors and the way it opens things up. And I feel like that's one of the things that I kind of uh, personally, I get more wrapped up in the what I think God is and what I think God is, is all of us. I think it's everything. I think it is like like you were saying, what we think of as consciousness isn't really, doesn't really describe it. It's, 
I feel like consciousness, if you want to call it that, is the thing that really holds everything together. It's the thing that keeps atoms engaging with each other. To, you know, like it's the thing that that lays underneath everything and it expresses itself through us and through mm. our like experiences. And when I zoom out to that level, I feel and I, I've found that in psychedelics many times, specifically with LSD. For some reason, it always comes to me with LSD. Uh, but the oneness of everything and how connected we are. And even without the blood connections, like the, all of the division that I feel and hate or, you know, any kind of thing that I feel towards somebody, it's really just another aspect of me that I'm putting onto them. Mm. And like, you know, that's just part of the experience of being human and, you know, taking on these forms and doing this thing. I really like hearing you break it down in a more personal and like, I guess, literal way, because it's still spiritual. It's still a spiritual connection that you have to your family. But I mean, I kind of, I feel like I'm, I maybe skip some of that and don't get what I could out of that by just going immediately to, well, we're all one thing. So, you know, like, yeah, there's all these other different ways that we're connected inside of the one thing that are interesting and wonderful to explore. And yeah, that's something I don't have any experience with. Um, you, you, well, I had I hadn't had any until it just happened. I wasn't yeah. looking for that. It just happened. And I was like, what? And then it was so uncomfortable for me to get used to praying. You know, even putting my hands together felt wrong. Yeah. Like I, I was okay with it because it's a thing in Muay Thai and Thai boxing. Right. Um, you, you give the the why the why uh to your um trainer um to the to your opponent to um the judges and, and the referee in a fight um it's it's just part of it so that kind of you know they put the the monk on which is the kind of the circular headband on your head and, and you do that and they bless it and i was okay with that because it was part of the cosplay of this martial art i loved right. um, but the spiritual side i didn't really acknowledge in any way so it was just also perverted by my experience of catholicism that i felt this is not allowed this is wrong this is bad and i yeah. had to really push through and go this is okay if you feel it Who's it harming? It's not harming anyone. This is on your terms. And kind of going, okay, you can do that. And it's like you were talking about earlier. Often um, these things aren't just coincidences. You know, they're part of something that you can plug into. Uh, and whether your sort of entry point is through the, the bigger picture of what is God, what is existence, you know, these questions you've had, but maybe didn't dare to look at closely or, or to really ask until, you know, you get to one point and, it's sort of like, um, you know, until you get to the horizon, you can't see the next horizon, um, you know, and then you climb to the top of the hill and you realize there's 50 other hills around you. And then you're like, okay, what are all of these? And it's just this journey and this adventure. Right. Yeah, no, that's, the, I mean, yeah, that's what's beautiful about it. <laughs> it's like, I feel like there's so many people who just want there to be an end. And that is how spirituality and religion kind of sells everything to people is this is the end. You reach it, you get here and you've, you, you know, if you're Protestant, you're saved. If you're Catholic, you, you know, you come to church and this is where you get it from. Uh, yeah. But that's obviously like, that's not working for anybody really. And I mean, it works for some people. I, I can't negate it for, you know, people who find it there, they can find it however they want to, but like, yeah, it has caused so much damage that it's hard to even look at the positive for most of it anymore. So, um, yeah. And it's bizarre that people don't turn around and go, hang on, what's another way? Right. Like, 
this this isn't working. This is causing division and and you know strife. And what what's another potential way? Well, I guess, like you say, there's a lot of people who are becoming interested in these kind of things now. And uh, that's one of the upside of, of the internet. Um, a lot of esoteric knowledge now becomes um, findable and, and it's it's distributed amongst right. people. Um, and stuff that would have been folk knowledge and word of mouth and passed down in an oral tradition before is now being um, systematized. And, you know, there's all sorts of bullshit like... Um, you know, like being teenage goths and getting the fucking Necronomicon from like Tower right. Records and trying to do spells out of that and going, this is all complete bullshit. Right, yeah. And then finding out, you know, things, finding out about chaos magic and things like that and trialing it and going, this makes sense, you know, this is just rewriting your unconscious and, and kind yeah. of exploring these different things. Hacking um, your belief systems to make paths that you wouldn't have seen otherwise. Yeah, and starting to get an insight into, for example, like a lot of uh, stuff from Celtic mythology, like the spiral idea of time being a spiral, mm-hmm. um, started to make a lot of sense to me. And I was always obsessed with spiral uh, designs and images. And I was like, oh, okay, this was for a reason. It's not just because I think they look cool. Um, or on the, the second big ayahuasca trip I did, uh, spirit animal stuff was, was revealed to me. Okay. And uh, it was like, I was like, no way, it, it just can't be true because I just think these animals are really cool. These are too cool to be my spirit animals. And it was like a uh, serpent and a shark and a wolf. And I was like, no, this is too cool. <laughs> like, but, but <laughs> yeah, but those were all tattoo worthy animals. Like, yeah, I, true. <laughs> and I was like, I'm just, I'm just making this up because it seems cool. And I was like, yeah. well, maybe it's, maybe it's the other way around. Maybe the reason I've always been fascinated with sharks and like wolves and, and snakes isn't just it is because they're cool, but it's also because they're my animals and, and right. like they're they're my my helper animals. And I was able to, especially with like my tie in my fighting career, I was able to then use that as a way to go, you know, uh stalk like the wolf and move, you know, move at the speed of the shark and you know, kind of have yeah. to have the cunningness of the serpent. And it it just became like uh, mantras that you could repeat to yourself that again they're empowering and it doesn't matter whether they're true or false or they come from somewhere else or from within you it's irrelevant because yeah. they're empa- they're empowering you and they're hurting no one else yeah that's the chaos magic side of it <laughs> it doesn't matter where it comes from if it's here and it's yeah if it's making me push forward yeah like that's I've never dabbled in chaos magic. Uh, by the time I started believing that magic was a possibility, I also became very aware that my ego would ask for things that maybe not be best for me. Cause some of the things that I have asked for in the past in my life would have been the absolute worst thing I could have imagined now, <laughs> like having been where I've been now, you know? Like so, what? Oh, just, you know, like when I was younger, you know, different relationships and things like that, like I would give anything for this relationship to work out and keep going. And like, I want this to, and it's, and it's a matter of my ego and my desperation and my fear of what I will be like alone and what it will be like to try to find another connection. And it's all of these things that I'm afraid of, but in my moment, in my ego, I'm, I, I, I'm just feeling the fear of being alone. So if I were to do some kind of ritual, or trying to make some like that's just like the silliest example I could give, but you know, like to to make those things better, or to like there was a time when I was living in Cleveland where all my friends were buying houses, and I really wanted to buy a house, but then it clicked with me 
out of nowhere that was like, oh, since I'm not buying a house, that means I'm not tethered and I can go do whatever the hell I want. And that was like a big realization for me. But if I had done a ritual to try to dedicate myself to finding a house, I would have never met you. I would have never had like any of these other crazy experiences, you know? So it's like, or, or you might've gotten a metaphysical uh, slap upside the head. Right. uh, Where you would struggle up that mountain. It wouldn't work out. And then you might be even further along your path now because you had a rude awakening from some of your suppositions, you know, because especially when you're working with ego shit and, and yeah. um, often you, you have to suffer a hard uh, lesson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and that could be part of it. It's like, I think a lot of it is about having, having respect and being very, very, very careful with the intentions you set. Um, For sure. So I, I've done that before where I've set the wrong intention and I've achieved it, but it wasn't what I really wanted. And yeah. it was only a retrospect where I was like, I should have been more careful with this. See, I feel like I have somehow in my lifetime, I have benefited heavily from the knowledge and experience of other people. Like that was the reason that I never messed with hard drugs when I was growing up. I never messed with anything until I was 25. And that was because I had known enough people that had fallen down those paths. And I was like, that doesn't look good. I don't want to do that. Yeah. And like, there's all these, so I have had enough friends that have messed with magic and been like, I have a friend that I hope to talk to on here eventually. Uh, She was telling me one time she did a ritual to get rid of this neighbor that was just driving mm. her absolutely nuts. Like this neighbor was awful up in her shit all the time, made it really hard to like get anything done at their house to work on anything or do anything. So she did this ritual to get rid of the neighbor and it worked. The neighbor left, but then somebody else moved in who was 10 times worse. And it <laughs> just like, and like, I don't know, I hear all these stories from people and I'm yeah. like, you know, I know that that's a path and I think it's valid. I think it's real from the experiences of friends that have had these experiences, you know, I hear those stories and I take them to heart, but to me, the path of non-attachment makes more sense because Mm. then I can just be consciously trying to let go of how I want things to be and let Mm. things be what they could be. And often when I let that happen, things get bigger and better than I would have even imagined in the first place. And Mm -hmm. like your story about when you were, um, when you were working harvesting wheat and you sold up all your shit and, and you left and you were like, what the fuck have I done? And you yeah. turn on the radio and sweet leaf comes on. And right. Like, yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's one of those signpost things where you go, this is too much of a coincidence for me not to pay attention to it. Yeah. And you go, okay, I'm going in the right direction. And even if is even if that is just you building a personal mythology out of whatever are the pieces in front of you, it's still real. It's still hundred percent real because it happened. Right. And it, it happened to you. And so that sort of is a, a direction if you choose to accept it, right. which goes, yes, this is the path, you know, for you of non-attachment, of letting go, of just trusting in your instinct and your intuition and just going, yeah, this is going to be okay. I just have to surrender and trust the process. Right. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, it's been working so far. <laughs> I mean, to some extent I'm here, I'm doing things that I'm happy to be doing. Uh, I never thought I would be like, really, these conversations mean so much to me. And one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast in the first place was just to have an excuse to hit up people and be like, let's talk about some really deep shit that you don't talk to anybody about in public. Because like you were saying earlier at the beginning of the conversation, this shit's kind of off limits to a lot of people. Like I have been at many parties where somebody will mention something that I was talking about in front of somebody I was having a really good conversation with about a Jerry's kids record or something yeah, and yeah. just watch 
everybody else in that conversation's eyes glaze over and like just slowly wander slowly away. Back like, away. Yeah. yeah. They're like, well, I don't want to talk about that. Uh, but so. it is really challenging, you know, and that was one of the things that I took away from that ayahuasca experience in 2015. One of my lessons was to be vulnerable, allow myself to be vulnerable because, you know, I've, I've always been, you know, ready to fight um, and ready to speak about what I think um, and just not worried about people's opinion of me. You know, everyone is, but not worrying about towing the line and saying things. And I've hurt a lot of people doing that and it hasn't necessarily been positive. And a lot of that was because I was scared to be vulnerable, you know, for being bullied and things like that. Right. And you go, um, it, it got to the point where, you know, from, from having a fighting career and going through all that and going like, oh, I'm way tougher than I thought I was. Actually, it's not that important to be tough. Uh, I'd actually rather be vulnerable. Um, and things like, you know, it wasn't until I was in my 30s where I realized I really liked flowers. I, liking liking flowers wasn't a thing a tough man like me was supposed to be allowed to like. So right. I couldn't even consider the possibilities of flowers having something for me. And it's things like that where you go, I, I just uh, have cut myself off from so many experiences in the world by not allowing myself to be vulnerable. Right. And it, it's, but being vulnerable isn't necessarily that much fun. You know, it's hard. It, it means that people can hurt you. Right. Yeah. There's like, I mean, yeah, there's times when you're met in your vulnerability where it is like the best feeling in the world. And then there's also the initial putting it out there or someone like pointing and saying, you know, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that just immediately push pushes you back in your shell. It is that that's the hardest thing to do. But that's like, I mean, I feel like maybe the isolation is what's making me more willing to just say fuck it and do this because I don't see, you know, I'm not seeing anybody anyways. So there's nobody to point and say, what's your fucking problem? Unless they're doing it on the Internet. And in that case, I don't care. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah, we can talk about whatever the fuck we want to now. Um, yeah, the one I guess uh, maybe we can kind of wrap up the show on this because I, I, I can't tell how long it's been, but we're kind of getting close to two hours now. Um I wanted to ask you specifically about um, shamanism as a concept, because that's something that I, I know that you like one time we were talking uh, on the Internet and you mentioned to me the path of the warrior. And that made sense to me because I know why and how you would identify with that archetype. And that would be something that would stand out to you because we've had that conversation before. But shamanism is something that I have kind of been shy about specifically because of, again, the thing I was talking about with the ancestry. It's I'm on colonized land and I, I know that truth belongs to everybody. I know that higher experience belongs to everybody, but there's also certain lenses that I am skittish to view it through because of the cultural implications that are involved in it. And I've had some, I've had, uh, I mean, I can tell you a really quick story about a DMT trip I had that like kind of opened me to thinking about that more. I was really uh, during 2020 when all the political uprisings were happening here, I was really getting into researching the colonization of North and South America specifically. And I read this book that really talked about the way that Christianity played a huge part in that and how like the Christianization of the native people literally killed them in mass, like in certain situations, like even people who were set aside to be Christianized specifically, the letting go of their old beliefs, just, they would just die 
like in large numbers after having to, you know, come and face and, you know, kneel at the cross and all of this shit. So mm-hmm. I was thinking about like the fact that they were seeing these spirits, they had this community, these communes with these spirits and they, you know, knew where they came from. They knew their lineage. They had stories going back to like, you know, beyond what we can even imagine calendar wise. Uh, and it just kind of stood out to me that like, you know, maybe those spirits, all of that stuff is just still here. But mm. since we've imposed our reality on everything, that materialism is the way and or Christianity is the way and anything doesn't match up to that isn't real, that we've kind of pushed that out of our our visible range, like out of things that we could even come in contact with. Mm. Right after I had this realization, I did a meditation the next morning. And afterwards, it just kind of pressed me like you can you should smoke DMT right now. So I did. And I saw this like being in front of me that was like, had like a lion face and like wings coming off of its head. And there were things just swimming in and through it. I've never had like a sustained view of any entity while I was on DMT. Like everything moves quickly and there's like flashes of things and you know how it is. Like (laughs) there's like there'll be beings, but even like the being itself will change shape and you'll be like, I know that the same thing, but you were humanoid a second ago and now you're just like, you know, a slug. Uh, (laughs) But this was like a sustained like vision. I was seeing this thing in front of me and it was like, literally like, I felt like it was just saying, look at me, take this in, take like understand. And I felt like, okay, you are something that is where I am. And I was in the Northwest of this continent at the time. Um, a couple hours later, I'm, I've come down, I'm, you know, just chilling out. And I used to put on that show, Ancient Aliens, just to have on in the background, because it's interesting to me. Uh, you know, obviously, I don't believe even half the shit that they're saying on there. But the fact that they will talk about ancient civilizations, and the fact that there are things we don't know about it, is just yeah. infinitely fascinating to me. I love it. But this is the one episode where they actually weren't just a bunch of white dudes talking about shit. And they talked to a native tribe in the area that I was living kind of like they, they kind of their territory was like kind of at the, the top of it was at the bottom of where I live and, you know, went all the way down the West coast. And they were like talking about their ancestors and like from the stars and all of these other things. And they started pulling out these different masks that uh, were the representations of those that they would wear in these ceremonies. And the second mask they pull out was the exact face that I had just seen in my closet a couple hours ago, like to a T and like my whole body started vibrating. And I was like, okay, there's something to this. I'm supposed to pay attention to this. And ever since then, I have been very fascinated and wanted to know more about like shamanism in particular, but like, you know, also just the culture of the land I'm standing on as much as possible. But again, I don't know how to approach that. And like you having brought that up to me before, I was curious, like what, uh, what got you in that door more thinking about those things and look at at things through that lens? Um, Well, I guess, I guess I'd start by saying that uh, capitalism uh, co-opts everything. So whether it's, you know, whether you talk about Q shaman and like the kind of people who are, you know, attracted to QAnon and conspiracist uh, movements, You'll always see them deploying Native American wisdom and so on. And you're like, Q 
get the fuck out of here. Like your attitude and you people are the reason we Native Americans have mostly been wiped out and lost all their traditions and lost so much fucking knowledge that they spent centuries and millennia collecting and and um, synthesizing into a belief system which has been wiped out. And it, it just goes to show how everything can be co-opted and, right. uh, you know, McDonaldized and turned into um, things, especially because these disciplines are the idea of shamanism by its nature is an oral tradition is passed one person to the next um and something which you encounter over and over again in the literature around it which um it people refer to it as a calling you know you the same as they do with a lot of religious stuff which never made sense to me even things like you know vocations like my wife being a nurse different people in my family being teachers and they always just knew they'd be a nurse or a teacher i never had anything like that i never felt called to anything same but after after that last ayahuasca experience i suddenly was very very interested in this stuff and started researching it and i'd had a book um wonder is it here um i got it at um newgrange in ireland uh do you know newgrange the passage tomb no i never heard of um, it uh, have a look. You'll love this stuff. This is from like 5,000 years ago. They would build burial tombs. And on uh, there's three major ones called uh, Nauth, uh, Douth, and Newgrange. Uh, the, the Valley of the Kings, the, the sort of the old royal area in um, pre, pre-Christian Ireland and, you know, megalithic Ireland. Mm-hmm. And um, they were constructed uh, astrologically aligned. So okay. some of them are aligned to the equinoxes and some of them are aligned to the solstices. And this one at Newgrange is the most spectacular of them because on the solstice, what happens is this is this big cave that they've built. And um, you can go in there and on the morning of the winter solstice, uh, the light shines through um, this little hole at the top of it and illuminates the whole chamber um, as if there's been a light switched on in there. And so I went wow. there and visited uh, visited one of them with my sister. We'd been up in Belfast for a gig when I visited Ireland in 2012 and um, came back, pat, gone past there. And I think it was the summer solstice. Yeah, it was summer solstice. So we stopped in. We're like, let's, or it was coming up to the summer solstice to next weekend. And I bought a couple of books and one was this book about Celtic shamanism. And I had a look through it and um, didn't really feel that uh, attached to it or, you know, didn't, wasn't that interesting to me. Um, But then later on, after I had those experiences with the ancestral stuff, um, I got much more interested in it and and started reading it um, and started going through a lot of the processes of it, um, which again, it's, um, it's similar to a lot of different uh, esoteric beliefs in the same kind of, I guess, the what would you call it, the, the Western esoteric tradition, you know, like the, um, the Aleister Crowley and the, right. the or, Order of the Golden Dawn, like all that kind yeah, of stuff. a lot of the know? hermetic stuff. and Yeah, like the her- hermetic kind of stuff. And the Greek wisdom and things like that, yeah. Yeah, but also related a lot back to old Irish mythology. Um, and... A lot of it, like there, a lot of it has to be recovered, I guess, and it's kind of recovered through uh, people's experience and their own uh, either psychedelic or meditative uh, states and and putting things together. Um, but something which, like, 
you know, you you would feel as well uh, being American is that, or, you know, growing up in America, um, Irish people kind of get this fucking hall pass to do shit that other people aren't allowed to because they're sort of seen as this old, you know, folky type people. And um, that's often, again, co-opted and deployed by uh, Irish Americans who mm. use that as a way to... Um, um, disregard the experiences of uh, African Americans right. and people who were uh, taken as slaves and colonized because they go, well, the Irish did it and we fucking pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps so you can too. Conveniently conveniently ignoring the difference between being an endangered laborer uh, versus a slave. Right. Whereas and, when, and at when, a certain point when that stopped mattering at all, where you were from, it was just white or black. Yeah, and that whole that's a whole other conversation right um but something which is uh interesting to me um listening to different experts in folklore and uh, mythology and, and background of um, um linguistics and musicology and so on the irish culture has much more in common with indigenous cultures around the world in terms of it being uh, an oral culture um it's only in the last hundred years. Everyone spoke Irish until it was basically banned by the English. A lot of it was lost. A lot of the language, the traditions, the mythology, um, everything is related to place. Uh, all the place names in Ireland uh, have a literal name, and there's hundreds of stories where. Uh, have you been? To, you've been to Ireland, haven't you? No, I'm not. I, I would really no. love to. I know that I have a lot of. Irish in my blood, which if the light's the right, you can see the red in the beard. That's what I've always been told. <laughs> <laughs> and um, like Dunleary is one place a lot of people would know. It's where the ferry comes into when you're getting the ferry over from the UK. Dunleary is just an anglicised version of Dunleary, which is the fort of Leary. So everywhere has a name like that. That means something. Uh, so people have a very close connection to the land. Um and feel a part of it. And that was something which I found very interesting uh, coming to Australia, where I became friends with some uh, indigenous elders of uh, a tribe out in Western Australia. Um, again, through that company who I worked for, um, we had this one product, which is called Gubbinge, uh, Kakadu plum, which is the highest percentage vitamin C uh, of any plant in the world. And um, these guys, this tribe, the Nyulnyul, were harvesting it out on the Dampier Peninsula in Western Australia. So the owner of the company sent me out there to, to meet them and write about it and document it all, like about, it's about 10 years ago. Um, and it was really funny because I was really intimidated going out there. You know, it's just a mystery of the company. And I was like, fuck, don't say the wrong thing. Don't get drunk and fucking offend everyone. And just like, just be, be quiet and just listen and let everyone else say things. So right. this guy, Bruno, Bruno, who's in his 70s, um, picked me up together with his partner at the airport. And his accent is so strong, I couldn't really understand him for the first three or four hours. And um, he was like, oh, what do you want to do? And I was like, I don't mind, just whatever you'd normally do. Uh, and this was before we went out to his traditional land, which is five hours out uh, in, into the bush from this tiny town uh, called Broome. And so he's like, oh, do you want to watch a movie? I was like, yeah, sure. Uh, and he's like, oh, we got a fish from my brother. So we went down to where his, bro his brother was and uh, got a fish to, to make for dinner. But then he bought a slab of beer and I was like, okay. And then uh, he's like, 
this is my favorite movie. And he puts on The Hangover. <laughs> and and I, I was like, sick. So then we like watched The Hangover and The Hangover 2 and like drank a slab of beer. And then we were just mates after that. Awesome. And we just like drive out to the place and he's putting on Black Sabbath and he's like a rocker from the 70s and stuff. And I was like, this guy's getting better and better. Like this rules. And then we went out there and um, he he had a really, really fucking dark life. Um, do you know about the stolen generation in Australia? No. So basically they had a policy called the Bite Australia policy, which they wanted to breed the badness out of the indigenous people. So what they would That's do familiar. was they yeah, similar, similar stuff happened in the US. Yeah. They, they would steal the children uh, from the families and they would uh, adopt them into white families so that they could teach them to be uh, civilised. Um, and this happened to Bruno. And it was done with the uh, with the help of the Catholic Church in particular. And he uh, grew up on a, on this mission, mission uh, the Beagle Bay mission, um, which was notoriously abusive, so much uh, sexual abuse and violent abuse. Um, and he brought me to the church there, uh, and it was one of the darkest atmospheres I've ever felt. Uh, I just I just felt like a breath of fucking hell down the back of my throat, back of my neck while I was in there. And he's like a lot of my friends. He's he's old now. This was from when he was a child, like 70 years ago. And he's a lot of my friends who are still alive can't come here. Or they just, they, they pissed their pants in terror. Like they just can't come in here um, because of all the stuff that happened. But what happened was he kept running away um, and to meet the elders from his tribe who were teaching him his language and passing on uh, the information. And um, he kept being punished for it. And even for speaking their own language, they'd be beaten but he wouldn't stop doing it. So eventually they had to accept and they'd let him go away uh, on the weekends to meet his elders and learn about the tribal traditions. And now he's like a walking encyclopedia of plant knowledge. Like um, you're walking on his his traditional land and you'll be like, you know, he's like, oh, what's wrong? Because you're, you know, messing with your jaw or something. I'm like, oh, I've got a sore tooth. And he's like, oh, come with me. I finds a bark uh, and goes, rub this in. And it works. And he's got all these different plants all the time that works. And it's it's mostly knowledge that was passed down to him. But a lot of it was a, is a way of seeing the world, um, which isn't necessarily direct knowledge. Um, it's more, he, he's got a toolkit which allows him to rediscover a lot of stuff which, which is lost. And a lot of this is really, really crucial at the moment. It's like ancient fire management techniques because the Aboriginal people have lived in this continent for 40,000 years. It's the oldest surviving civilization in the world. They keep finding more evidence that they've been here a lot longer than they were given credit for. And so in the era we're going into now, uh, fire management is going to be really essential, but yeah. it's still um, ignored by uh, European society here. So all these things started learning and um, he started telling me stories and I was recording a lot of the stories like with a, with a voice recorder and also on my phone. Um, and I, you know, get his permission. And one night he told me his whole life story and a lot of really um, crazy stuff that uh, I was skeptical about, but because of the things I saw out there and things he told me, I started to believe about shape shifting, about different uh, spirits and, and lights and so on. And, he told me these incredible stories and I recorded them, checked that it had worked, saved it and recorded it on two devices. And in the next next morning it had disappeared. It wasn't there. It was just gone. Oh, and wow. so I was like, um, okay, these aren't for anyone else. These, these were just for me right. um, to know right then. And it was sort of, 
a very direct way of the incorporeal spiritual world um, intervening with the um, uh, sorry, someone's calling me there. Uh, in, interfering with my um, um, with reality and going no, like this isn't. This is for you. This is being passed to you directly in the old way, the oral way, um, and that's. It's it's amazing, uh, but also it's really sad uh, as someone who doesn't have a teacher, a spiritual teacher, to pass on the traditions from my people, uh, from the Irish people. So you have to, and the Celtic people, so you have to kind of rediscover those things in whatever way you can, which is uh, difficult. Um, and a lot of it comes back to intuition and, and just going with, uh, what, what, with your feelings. And that's why it's dicey territory. Because ego gets involved, you know, like you're talking about. And um, you see it with a lot of people, whether they get involved in magic or spiritualism or or anything, really. Um, they start out with great intentions. And then the power takes over. Um, the fact that they're getting um, veneration or money or sex or any different types of power off, off people who are interested in them takes over. And they start believing their own hype. Right, and then then they become corrupted and, and soiled by the experience, rather than in the traditional way where like being a shaman was a burden. Like it's not something you you really want. Like it's not that pleasant. You'd have to live on the outskirts of the town because it was invariably weirdos, awkward people who right. people didn't want them around because they would fucking tell them shit they didn't want to hear. Right. They 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 knew that they had to be there, but it helped them find where the fish were, where the animals were, where right. the food was. Um, and often it would be through the use of different plant medicines, you, you, you get a vision. Like even if you've ever gone mushroom picking, you eat a few mushrooms and the mushrooms glow, you can see them. You know, and it's, it's that kind of thing, but on a much grander scale. So I'm really fascinated with it. And I, I had a really strong practice with it for most of 2020, which kind of... Um, I haven't been dis so disciplined with for the last while, which mm -hmm. I do want to uh, re uh, reinvigorate. But um, you, you, it's sort of it's a very twisting path. You know, there's no real clear A to B, um, right. and it's it's um, like I've had some some ritual experiences where um, you know I've encountered different different beings and. Um, Maybe um, maybe I should have been more respectful or, or should have, uh, you know, I've, I've been left with a feeling like maybe I shouldn't have gone there. Um, but it's sort of, again, it's part of that mystery where um, I, I, I would never call myself a shaman or um, even want to take that on because I, I think it's, it's corruptible. It's very corruptible. Absolutely. Um, even people I've met uh, through different, plant medicines and so on, they they often start getting an ego around them. Um, and that's partly because people want to follow them. People want to worship them. And it's like, no, they're just a fucking medicine man. They're just um, a vessel to pass something on. Don't, right. don't, don't mistake them for something special. They're, they're just the cashier, you know, they're, right. they're just dispensing um, something from elsewhere. Uh, that they have that they're open to but a lot of them start enjoying the trappings of, of, of power and um sounds, and status sounds similar to the the guru trap people fall into with more eastern like that is you know obviously you can meet a guru that will change your life and let you know that it's all inside of you and i'm not anything i'm just a vessel i'm just the mouthpiece that you're hearing what you need to hear through 
but then there's the, you know, our Western version of what a guru is, is kind of a fucking nightmare, <laughs> you know, yeah. like it's this egocentric asshole that takes all these people in and manipulates them at their most vulnerable, maybe helps them find some grain of truth, but then uses that to, you know, make a world that they want to see, as opposed to letting everybody else create a world together that we mm. all want to see, you know? Mm. And like, and humans are fallible, you know? And right. it's like, God told you to give me money and fucking suck me off. It's like, I'm pretty sure he fucking did, you know? <laughs> but if you're already down that trap and you're already right. at, at someone who's looking for something, you know, you'll find it there. But it's the same as, you know, whether it's like, whether it's being a punk, whether it's being a Nazi, whether it's being a cop or a fucking soldier or a teacher or a nurse or whatever, you follow the path, but that's not the end. And everyone thinks that's, I've arrived now. This is the end point. That's why you see such such burnout in people because they're like, you know, idealistic in their teens and early twenties. You know, you think about so many people, you know, the most idealistic anarcho-punks end up the most horrible nihilists with just (laughs) terrible drug problems. And right. It's that kind or, of thing, or they where, end up in QAnon somehow, or like you know, working for yeah. the Democratic Party or whatever the case may be. They end up falling off. You know, yeah, it, it yeah. burns burns out in one direction or the other. <laughs> yeah, so I guess like it's it's not really much of an answer to your question, but it's um, something which I find fascinating and another source of um, of wisdom. Um, I mean, that's oh, that's oh. what I was asking about. It was just your your knowledge about it and what your relationship was to it. So that's actually the perfect answer to my question. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm happy we could talk about that. Thank you. I, I, will, I will tell you one story to, to finish with, which was one of those mystical experiences where I was like, oh, shit, this is more than just cosplay. Something more is going on. So I'd gone through the, the process of from this book and these spiritual teachers of doing various rituals. And um one of them was it it it's all the classical um you know the hermetic stuff the uh, the north the east the south and the west and the different elements earth fire wind and right. water um and one of them was around uh, uh acknowledging um the uh, celtic uh, calendar and the you know the north and the east and uh, bealtaine lunasa the different seasons uh, and there's actually um 12 different seasons within the, the wider calendar and they're all associated with different animals, uh, different values, different feelings. So I went through all that. Uh, and at the end, you're invited to uh, speak your name aloud. And then um, you, you may be given another name, uh, another shamanic name. And so I did that. And uh, the, the, the name uh, I spoke was uh, Fuelan, uh, which was a, a very old Irish word. I found out later. I was like, what is that? And I went and looked it up. And I didn't know this word. Um, and it turned out it meant little wolf. Um, and that was one of these things where I was like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. you know, from my knowledge of Irish, if I tried to think of what the word for wolf, like the word for wolf is Mach um, on which means son of the country, uh, like son of the countryside. Because oh, okay. our, our Ireland used to be full of wolves. Um, yeah before it was deforested and they were killed uh, by the English. Um, and so that was one of those things where I was like, maybe that word was buried somewhere deep in the recesses of my consciousness from something I read before or learned as a kid, but I don't think so. And even if it was, 
the fact that my unconscious was able to delve in there and retrieve that, whether that came from within or without, it was again something which gives me a different perspective to go, who is, you know, is that my spirit animal or is that me or is that my helper or a different side to me? It doesn't matter because it's there and it's something that I can use in my meditation and my rituals and, you know, a lot of the things which are common to different shamanic traditions around the world, like drumming, using a drum to just get into a trance right. and, and and feeling that your, your spirit animal is with you. And I've been in, in the worst mood and the most, you know, beaten down, hopeless state of mind and have done meditation and have gone through that and felt that I've been imbued with that power of, of the little wolf who, who makes me feel strong and proud and, uh, and indomitable um, right. where I can, I can uh, keep my head uh, raised up high and, and go out into the world and, and spread positivity rather than be a negative void or vortex of bad feeling that, that drags in everyone else. And it's, it's these kind of, again, mystery experiences that make me go, I don't know where this is coming from. I don't know to what extent I, I believe it, or, but it's working and it's working right. for me. So yeah. it's like the most that. you can ask for really is to have some tangible thing come out of it. And when it does, I mean, yeah, at that point, it's like where did, it doesn't always matter where it came from. It's just here. So accept it, you know? Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, um, I mean, we can wrap up the recording part of this. I'd be willing to talk for a little bit longer if you have the time, uh, just personally. But um, yeah. just just to finish off the podcast portion of this, uh, is there anywhere you want people to find you? Anything you want to plug right now or anything you want to talk about that you're working on? Um, I'm on uh, Instagram, uh, the last high king dot between the dot last dot hi dash king okay uh, or if you look at um you can get in touch with me at my website uh, it's purpose communications um purpose as in you know the justin bieber album and, uh, <laughs> communications as in the way uh, you talk dot com dot au uh, and yeah always happy to, to chat with people about this or anything um i'm just fascinated and and uh and nourished by people so i'm always keen if people feel like reaching out to chat awesome man well thanks so much cormy i can't say how much i appreciate this this has been awesome thank you it's it's lovely to talk to someone and to um speak a lot of these things aloud because i don't you yeah. know it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a very solitary thing yeah um, it is and that that's okay but it's also nice to have allies or compatriots in it um, absolutely so that it's less of a solitary path. That's kind of, I mean, again, that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this is to build that up as much as I could, you know, like I didn't think I didn't expect to get even half the response I have from this. And just from starting having these conversations, I hear things constantly uh, that I never would have gotten out of people if I had never brought this shit up in front of them, or they didn't know I was doing this podcast. If it hadn't been like public knowledge, then that story that they had of this amazing, crazy thing that happened to them would have stayed under wraps for forever. And I would have never been able to connect with them on that level. So it's, yeah, I, I just hope to use this as a tool for that and I hope it keep going. And hopefully, you know, anybody who hears this and wants to reach out can have the same connection with you that you that you're looking for. So, cool. well, thanks so much. It's, it's good work. Yeah. Awesome.